Trinity Baptist Church. Here is a list of the kings of the land that Joshua and the Israelites conquered on the west side of the Jordan, from Balgad in the valley of Lebanon to Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir. Joshua gave their lands as an inheritance to the tribes of Israel according to their tribal divisions. The lands included the hill country, the western foothills, the Arabah, the mountain slopes, the wilderness, and the Negev. These were the lands of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were the kings. The king of Jericho. One. The king of Ai, near Bethel. One. The king of Jerusalem. One. The king of Hebron. One. The king of Jarmuth. One. The king of Lachish. One. The king of Eglon. One. The king of Gezer. One. The king of Deber. One. The king of Geder. One. The king of Hormah. One. The king of Arad. One. The king of Libna. One. The king of Adullam. One. The king of Makeda. One. The king of Bethel. One. The king of Tapua. One. The king of Hefer. One. The king of Aphek. One. The king of Lasharon. One. The king of Madon. One. The king of Hazor. One. The king of Shimron Meron. One. The king of Aksaf. One. The king of Tanach. One. The king of Mekiro. One. The king of Kadesh. One. The king of Jokneum in Carmel. One. The king of Dor in Naphtoth Dor. One. The king of Goyim in Gilgal. One. The king of Tirzah. One. Thirty-one kings in all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well done on those names. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's a tough read right there. Frederick Nietzsche. You didn't know you were going to get Nietzsche this morning, did you? Frederick Nietzsche, in his work Beyond Good and Evil, wrote these words. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. Let me read that again. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. You know, we live in a, um, a culture of immediate gratification, don't we? I mean, we, uh, we have this mindset, while we may not actually express it, but we, we have this mindset that anything that would be fulfilling or satisfying or be significant in life, we can get it in an instant. I mean, our, our 
attention spans are conditioned by 20-second commercials and 22-minute sitcoms. And that's why about two-thirds of the way through my sermons, a lot of you are nodding off. Um, You've been conditioned not to listen longer than that, you know? Um, That's why we think, that's why we play the lottery, because we think we can hit it and have this rich and fulfilling life, you know, in an instant. Um, We've adopted this, you know, double-decker bus lifestyle where we, you know, want to just cruise around and in a couple hours see the highlights. But what we need to appreciate is that nothing that is worthwhile comes that quickly. Nothing that is worthwhile. I I think Nietzsche had it right. Before um, there were fast food or microwave ovens, we have to understand that anything worthwhile takes a long obedience in the same direction. And if we're adopting this cultural mindset of we can have it now, if that's our perspective in life, we're going to miss out. We're definitely going to miss out in the Christian life. Because God has called us to so much more, and it's going to take more than just right now. Um, We've been in this series since January called Taking New Ground, where we've been walking through the book of Joshua, and we've been learning some things about um, what it looks like for us to take new ground in in our lives spiritually. And um, we've learned, I think, a number of great things. But if you want to boil it all down to one thing, I think it it comes down to this idea of a long obedience in the same direction. It's it's about um, staying the course as God has called us to. Now, um, what we're going to see this morning in Joshua chapters 11 and 12 is is this this principle, I think, encapsulated. So if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 11... And we're going to look at two chapters this morning, and some of you are thinking, oh, dang, we're going to be here until like 2 p.m. We will go through it quickly. The first 10 chapters of the book of Joshua are this adventure story of, of Joshua leading the nation of Israel to take this new ground of Canaan that God has promised them, this, this land of abundance. And uh, anybody know how, how many years the book of Joshua covers of Israel's history? Anybody? 25 years. Okay? This book covers 25 years of Israel's history. And as I've, I've said before, the, the basic outline of the book is, is this. Chapters 1 through 5 are the preparation for the conquest. Chapters 6 through 12 are the conquest, the taking of the new ground. And then chapters 13 to 24 are about settling into that life, about experiencing that, that new life and what it means to inhabit it. Now, the first 15 verses of Joshua 11 summarize the victories that God has given the Israel in the northern part of Canaan. And verses 1 through 5 introduce us to the opposition of the northern kings. And after listing the names in the regions, you'll notice in verse 4, it says, They came out with all their troops, they being the kings of the region, 
came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the western or at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Everything about this battle is massive. Okay, this um, this is the most formidable foe that Israel has faced in the conquest in terms of troop size and weaponry. Uh, the, the enemy here has both mounted cavalry and chariot soldiers. Israel's never seen this before. And they could have looked at this, and, and my guess is they were fairly overwhelmed looking at the enemy and we see in verse 5, these kings joining forces and coming together to, to form this uh, strategy to take on and, and to have victory over Israel. For the nation of Israel, every successive battle has gotten more and more difficult. Um, as they've moved forward, it's become more and more difficult to take the land. But I want you to notice in verse 6 how God speaks to Joshua. He makes a promise, and then he tells Joshua how that promise is going to be fulfilled. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them over to Israel slain. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to the greater Sidon, to Misrephoth and Maim, and to the valley of Mizpah on the east until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots. It is important that we... Note here that Joshua listens to the Lord and he does what God says. Um, Joshua launches this surprise attack while the enemy is, is still in council. They're gathered at the camps in the water's edge. And, and he comes in and he does what God says. He hamstrings their horses so their cavalry is, is debilitated. Their, the chariots are no longer um, functional because they have nothing to pull it. Uh, he burns the chariot so that they can't be used. Verse 9 says, Joshua did to them as the Lord directed. He doesn't cut corners. He doesn't go for the quick fix. He doesn't try to do things his way, but he does things the way that the Lord has called him to because he's learned that if he's going to succeed in battle, if he's going to succeed in this um, taking new ground that God has called him to, he needs to do it God's way. And because he did it God's way, God gave him victory and he was able to, they were able to conquer this um, allied force that was against them. In verses 10 through 15, we see what could be called the mop-up campaign. Um, they had defeated these united armies, but were, there were still cities to possess, and so they, they backtracked, and they took these cities. And if you look at verse 15, it says, and As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. 
He left nothing undone of all the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see Joshua's full obedience to what God had called him to do? Now, I've had some conversations as we've gone through this series, and, and some of us have a difficult time with the fact that, that God would call Israel to wipe out the Canaanites. It doesn't really square with our, you know, thinking of a God of love and, and, and all that stuff. And how could, how could God order this? We've talked about this briefly before, but we have, to, we have to understand that God's judgment comes on people at various times and various stages and in various ways. And, and at the end of time, there will be a final judgment where everyone will be judged. Um, and, and we can't predict that time and it's going to be at certain stages of life for everybody there but but God's judgment falls and for 200 or for 650 years God has been patient with the Canaanites he has um, been merciful to the Canaanites and he's given them opportunity to repent and become um, followers of the one true God but they haven't. They have rebelled and they have continually opposed God and his ways. And as, um, as Genesis 15 says, God told Abraham in Genesis 15, he said, the time will come when their sin will reach full measure. When the sin of these people would reach full measure. And that time has come. But friends, what we can't, what we can't miss is that God's heart to bring people far away from him into relationship with him and into the community of faith never changes. We see that in the story of Rahab, right? Where because of her faith, she's brought in. We see it in the Gibeonites. We saw it in the worship service at Shechem where it said they worshiped and there were aliens among them. You see, God... God is merciful and God wants people who are far away to come into relationship with him. And he's given the Canaanites every opportunity. But now their sin has reached full measure and it's time for judgment to come. So I know we struggle with that. But we can't, we can't diminish the, the holiness of God and the, the seriousness of sin and how God in his sovereignty sees that right now, for in that, that period of time, God in his sovereignty saw this is the only way for his ultimate saving purposes to go forward. For this nation to become a light and a beacon to the world. Alright? That's an aside. Alright? Really doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. But I just wanted to get there. Uh, Here's the spiritual application for us. We have to remember that spiritual victory and, and real maturity in the faith requires that the enemy be completely defeated. We can't leave pockets of resistance. We have to go back and take all the cities. How many of us 
think, well, you know, most of the enemy's dead. You know, we've taken most of the land. You know, I don't, I don't kill anybody. You know, I don't um, get loaded with my friends, at least not that often. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't cheat on my wife and I don't abuse my kids and I don't lie too much. And, you know, so for the most part, the land's been taken. But, you know, there's still a few pockets of resistance, you know, the occasional gossip and, and every now and then the lust or every now and then this other thing. And those aren't really that big a deal. No, they're a big deal. Because if we allow those little pockets of resistance to, to stay in our lives, if we don't completely wipe them out, they will wreak havoc in us. As we will see later in the life of Israel. Um, we, have to, we have to clear it all out. The secret for Joshua was knowing and following everything that God had commanded Moses in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And we saw this when we looked at chapter 1, where God said in Joshua 1, verses 8 and 9, He said, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I've said this before, but I think it's worth repeating. Um, Victory is not guaranteed for the people of God. There's no guaranteed victory in battle for us. We have to do things God's way. We can't take shortcuts. If we're going to be prosperous and successful, what's the prescription? You meditate on the word. You study the word. You apply the word. You get into the scriptures. You know what it says and you do what it says. That's the prescription. That's the blueprint. So the question is, are we in the book? Are we memorizing the scriptures? Are we applying it to our lives and saying, okay, Lord, I know what it says. Now, what does it mean to me? And how, how does this make an, you know, what, how does this connect for me from, from Sunday to Monday? How, how do I put this in, into action in, in my workplace or in my family or, or in my social context? Friends, one of the overarching goals of our church is that every one of us would be engaged with the Scriptures four more times a week. And that's why we do the coffee break verses, and that's just the beginning. But we need to be digging into this, and we need to do everything it says if we're going to be successful. Um, Joshua 11 Joshua eleven sixteen through the end of chapter 12 gives us a summary of God's sovereignty at work as they're um, taking this new ground. And we're not going to take the time to, to go through it all. But I think the, the key to it is tucked away right in the middle in, in 11, verse 18, 
where it says Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Do you know how long the conquest took? From when they crossed the Jordan until this battle at the waters of Merom? You know how long it took? Seven years. Nice guess, Tom. You were only two years off. Seven years. Um, why is that important to know? It was not. It was no. It wasn't a twenty-two minute campaign. It. They didn't play the lottery and win Canaan. They had to go at it for a long time. They had to persevere. They had to keep fighting. Friends, opposition doesn't just go away because you pray about it. Right? You know that's true. You got to keep at it. Joshua was a man who understood that he was in it for the long haul. And he demonstrated patience and persistence. And the same must be true for us. As Nietzsche said, anything worthwhile is only gained by a long obedience in the same direction. And that's what the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9. He said, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. The challenge for all of us is not to grow weary, but to, but to keep at it. I don't know about you, but there are times when I grow weary. Anybody ever just feel like throwing in the towel? <laughs> yeah. You just, you get to that place where you go, Man, I just don't know that I can do this anymore. But what we've got to see in Joshua is that they kept at it and kept at it and kept at it for seven years. Um, as you look at the spiritual opposition in your life, if you look at the obstacles in your life, at the battles that you have to face in your life, there are... There are moments or maybe seasons when you just feel like you want to throw in the towel and you want to give it all up because you've got these battles. It may be a debilitating illness. It may be a, a, you know, a work situation. It may be a, a marriage that's on the rocks. It may be, a, I don't know, a, a, an addiction. There's all kinds of things that we look at, that we get, just get tired of fighting. And we may just want to throw in the towel. But whatever the case, if you look at the conclusion of the first half of this book of Joshua, in, in 11.23 it says, So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. They had rest. I think from time to time, we all need to be reminded to hang in there. From time to time, we all need to be reminded that at the end of the, all of this, we win. Right? 
We know. Because we've read the book. We know how it ends. At the end, we win. And so while right now, in the midst of the battle, we may be losing heart, we may be growing weary, we got to keep remembering that at the end, we win. So we need to hang in there and just keep a long obedience in the same direction. The Puritan Thomas Manton wrote, Every divine promise has annexed to it the challenge. Is anything too hard for God? Every promise has that challenge to our faith. Is anything too hard for God? Is this thing that I'm dealing with right now too hard for Him to get me through? And the answer, of course, is no. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Isn't that great? He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. What what we need to recognize is that if God has called you to something, his call is not beyond his power. His purpose in your life is not beyond his ability to accomplish it. And so if he has called you to something, you stay faithful at it because he will accomplish it. He will do it. Finally, take a look at chapter 12. And this chapter recaps the conquest in its entirety. It begins with Moses' victory over the two kings, Sihon and Og, before Israel actually even crossed the Jordan. Uh, Then beginning in 12.7, we read a list of these 31 Canaanite kings by name whom Joshua defeated with the armies of Israel. And this was the text that that Beth and the, the praise team read for us. And Did you think while they were reading it, what in, why are we reading this text? You know, I often come to these lists and I go, why in the world is this even in here? But you also heard as they were going through this list, um, you know, the king of Jericho won. The king of Ai near Bethel won. The king of Jerusalem won. The king of Hebron won. The king of Jarmuth won. The king of Lachish won. The king of Eglon won. And you just go down the list. And at the end of every one of those, you know, here's the king, you have this word, one. And the first time I read this, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of strange. I mean, why stick that little word one out there at the end? You know, I can count. I know it's one. (laughs) Right? But as we've talked about before, whenever God repeats something in the Scriptures, He's trying to communicate something. So you see this word over and over and over, and all of a sudden it dawns on you. They took Canaan, one city at a time. 
it could have been so easy to stand on the eastern bank of the Jordan and look at this promised land that God had called them to and see all the obstacles and all the enemy and just be overwhelmed and say, I can't do this. We can't do this. In fact, that's what the original spies had come back and said, right? Ten of them. We can't do this. The enemy's too great. But what God is saying here is, while the enemy might be great, you can take them one at a time. One at a time. And friends, that's what God has called us to in the Christian life. It's, it's just one at a time. The promised land for us is, is John 10.10, 10, right? Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Have this abundant life. That's why he came, to give us this abundant life. That's the promised land for us. The abundant life in the here and now. Not later when we die, but now. And, and so how do, we, how do we step into this promise? How do we step into this, this land flowing with milk and honey, this abundant life? It's easy for us, I think, to stand on the eastern bank of the Jordan and see all the obstacles, all the things out there that would derail us in moving forward in our, in our walk with Jesus and moving forward into this, this promise of abundant life. And we say, oh man, I just can't take it. But what God says to us is, yeah, you can. And you do it one step at a time. You do it one obstacle at a time. You do it one city at a time. It's just one One, one, one. And as you do have this long obedience in the same direction, you take the land. You take new ground in your life. And what's more, we've been called to take this new ground together. You know that? Over and over and over in the scriptures, we see this, this phrase, one another, one another, one another. Um, one of the recurring themes through, uh, through Scripture is this idea of community. It's this idea of relationship. In fact, the reason why Jesus came and died and rose again is so that we might be in relationship with the Father and be in relationship reconciled with one another. Um, So taking new ground is not just about me. It's about us. It's about doing it together. It's about encouraging others in their battles. It's about inviting others to come along with us as aliens and strangers because once we were aliens and strangers, but now we've been folded in and now we get to invite others like the Rahabs and the Gibeonites and everybody else to come along with us. So that they might experience the abundant life too. There are no quick fixes in the spiritual life. It is not a 22-minute sitcom. It is not a see New York in two hours bus ride. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And what we need to understand is that 
there are um, there are some givens. One given is it's not going to be easy, right? Jesus said to his disciples, um, in this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> you will. Count on it. But then he said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's one given. We're going to have trouble. We're going to have battles. We're going to have obstacles. We're going to have things that are coming against us. That's a given, and we need to be obedient to what God has called us to 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 enable us to to be prosperous and successful through that. That's one given. The second given we sang earlier, and that is his love never fails, never gives up, never gives up on me. His love never fails. And so if if I can live in that reality and understand the other reality, that will enable me to keep walking it out and after having this long obedience in the same direction, to be able to settle in the land. And that's Joshua 11 and 12. Let's pray. Lord, You know how tired I am right now. And that's physical, that's emotional, that's spiritual. And, and I know the reasons for it. And you know how I am. Uh, I have those days where I just want to say, I'm done. And yet, I thank you for the promise that your love never gives up. Your love is never done with me. And I thank you that that encourages me to keep stepping it out and keep walking it forward and trust that you are going to enable me and equip me and strengthen me. It's a long haul. It's It's a long campaign. There's no quick fix here. I pray, Lord, that I would not try to cut corners. I pray, Lord, that we as as individuals and as a congregation would not look for a quick fix in our lives, but we would recognize that if we're going to experience this abundant life that you came to give us, we've got to do some things to step into it. And sometimes that's um, their battles. But we trust you'll enable us by your grace. And for your name's sake, amen.